1: and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. I am your host, as always, Charles Hamaker here. Uh, Certainly a unique week in sports. We're going to have to uh, recap the Seahawks week, uh, pardon me, year. uh, Certainly something that we did not expect to see with everything that took place over the past year, uh, with, you know, Russell Wilson being traded away, all of that. Uh, we have some more Mariners news. It's mostly international sort of related signings here. The storm free agency is really about to pick up. And I know that Bill and I have been really intrigued to see how that all works. Um, there's that the Sounders are getting busy as they approach, they go through their preseason and they approach the world cup, uh, the club world cup, um, there's a good amount of stuff going on and we're going to try to get through all of it here, but we're going to begin with our sort of, uh, Seahawks season interview review here, sort of keep it shorter. Uh, we're going to do a separate sort of thing where we're able to go over the full season more in depth and try to get some of our other CSS contributors on that. Uh, but we're going to start with the, uh, sort of some, well, there's some team news to go over here first, before we actually get into that, you know, with the exit interviews and such and the, uh, sort of future signings and all that. So we're going to go over that first uh, with Jamal Adams, Jordan Brooks. We'll just see some stuff on that. So, Bell, why don't we jump into some injury updates on that?
0: Yeah, so we do have some injury um, updates to close out the season here. The first on the list is Jamal Adams. He still has a long recovery that will span into the summer, but is finally starting to move in the sense of using a treadmill and such. Carol said that Seattle has not been able to use a real plan that they have had for using Adams due to his season-ending injuries. Our next player here that we have an update for is Jordan Brooks. The team is counting on him to be ready for the next season, but Pete Carroll also notes that Brooks is set for surgery on Thursday, and they will not know details about this timeline until after his procedure. And lastly, our update on Will Disley. He's unclear if he will need knee surgery, so we're waiting to see how his injury is healing there.
1: Obviously, the Seahawks defense has a lot to improve, uh, right, you know, top to bottom, but hopefully having Adams and, and Brooks back healthy. I think the keynote there was the real plan quote, right? Right. Uh, about getting Adams involved and, and how they mm-hmm. haven't really been able to use him like that, which is really interesting, you know, because you look at his 2020 season where he he led the, uh, he had, what is the DB record for sacks in the season, um, the way that he's been able to, a lot of people consider him like a linebacker, right? Um, and we, we, we talked about it last week with, with the importance that Ryan Neal brings to this team. There's sort of a thing there with how you're going to play those two, those two guys specific specifically. I'm not worried about how they're going to play Quandre digs, um, but that'll be really interesting. And you're, you're going to need him back regardless of how people feel about that trade and any of that, you're going to need him back. Uh, Jordan Brooks, you know, as a guy that I've given criticism to throughout the season, um, but still was near the top of the the team and the league in tackles, so that'll be important as well to get him back. Um, in in terms of just kind of rejuvenating that front seven. Um, and again, would like to hear that. Obviously, all those guys are able to have, uh, quicker recoveries rather than anything else, and that it's all able to heal then and not have any sort of uh, complications, right? Because you know that's a, a possibility, unfortunately, with that. Um, so. That and then sort of I think these the updates came in exit interviews, but this is stuff that's not related to injuries. Thankfully, Uh, we'll go over some stuff, including uh, some positive discussions about Gino with the team. Why don't we look Mm -hmm. at some team notes here?
0: Yeah, we have some exit interview notes first here. The team has had preliminary discussions with Gino Smith, but are not too deep into anything just yet. They feel assured. John Schneider is all over it. Pete Carroll says. On the defense, the inconsistency is something I just can't tolerate. I hate it. We are going to get this fixed. Scheme-wise, we are going to be cleaning things up. Personnel-wise, we are going to be cleaning things up. So, sounds like there are several changes that will be made on the defensive end for our Hawks. On the 18th, it was announced that the team extended our kicker, Jason Myers, He has a four-year 21 million deal with Seattle, makes Myers the second highest paid kicker in the league by average annual salary behind only Justin Tucker. Myers went 34 for 37 on field goals this season and 41 for 42 on extra points. Myers led the NFL in scoring this season. So great to have him back. Um, On the 22nd, Seattle signs 10 players to future contracts. Greg Island, Chris Garrett, Jared Hewitt, Joey Hunt, Kate Johnson, Jalen McKenzie, Chris Steele, Darwin Thompson, and Aesop Winston Jr. And that about wraps up our team notes as well as our injury news so we can go into our brief season interview review now.
1: Starting off, you know, we do the we do the season review, uh, at least here on CSS on Converter. We try to keep it to sort of superlative type, you know, MVP, offensive rookies, you know, uh, newcomer of the year. I always find those to be fun, right? Just because, you know, with a lot of these awards, you say, oh, who's most valuable, which is where we'll start. But I was intrigued by your decision here. You know, I'm not going to say it's wrong uh, just because of, you know, when healthy, what he's able to bring to this team. But I'm intrigued to hear the reasoning here. Um I think we're going to do you second just because he, I mean, he had a lot of great rookies, right, for this team. But, I mean, I, I you could tell me if you disagree with it, but I kind of put uh, uh, Kenneth Walker III as our general offensive rookie of the year just as a consensus. Um, yeah. So we'll do you second because that's who you picked for the most valuable player here, and I'm really intrigued by that. So we're going to, just so we can kind of keep that talk in the same sort of realm here, we're going to do that second um, and go over towards our MVP. I went with Geno Smith. Uh, you know, obviously there have been some murmurs here and there about some of his play throughout the season. Um, But just the way that he had the team um, in the locker room as a whole, in my opinion, just how he was able to command that locker room, his consistency throughout the season, you know, the sort of performances that he was able to put up. Well, here's, here's an example. Someone had a great point. Let's look at the way that Dallas performed against the 49ers defense. What was it yesterday? And, you know, I'm not saying that Gino did great against the 49ers defense, but he did better than that. So just to sort of see the way that, that all played out, uh, to see his season, to go from, you know, again, guy who started off his season well in New York, his career, pardon me, um, to have that perennial backup label sort of stick with him as he went to what uh, other New York, uh, San Diego, and then sticking here for a few years before getting the start. Um, It was really great to see this all take place. And it wouldn't make sense to not have him extended at least for two years, right? Just all things considered, the way that he's obviously got this locker room, he's really tied down to this locker room. This locker room really enjoys his presence. He's able to give, he's not going to be a Patrick Mahomes for you. You don't need that sort of performance, but he's been. Consistent. He's been efficient. You know, he's had struggles here and there. But I mean, this again, this is his first real year as a starter since the Jets days, right? So, um, I, I just thought, you know, he was kind of part of that story. Uh, you know, you look at the Seahawks season, you know, generally sort of looks down upon, were cast out, doubted, all that. And it kind of resembles his journey, really, you know, to see this sort of thing take place. And for him to, you know, break Russell Wilson's, I believe, I don't know if completions was in there, but I know it was passing yards record. Completions might yeah. be in there as well. Um, I think you might have that. Um, but that, and then to culminate in a playoff run, you know, it's it, it makes it, it's a world of a difference, I think, to have him um, involved here uh, to see all that. So I, I, that's where I went with Gino. That's why it made the most sense to me. Again, very intrigued why he went uh, with Ken Walker third here. So why don't we get to that and, and get some discussion? Again, unless you disagree, had him as Offensive Rookie of the Year as well. So I feel like a lot of this talk of his play really factors in. But why for most valuable? Why did you select him here?
0: I totally agree with you that he's offensive rookie of the year, um, but I wanted to go away from just uh, going with the quarterback because, of course, I felt like Geno Smith was a very obvious answer as well. Um, but um, for me, I just don't—I don't know how Ken Walker saw his first season going. Um, I don't uh, predict that he saw it going this way as him like being put into the starter position right away. Um, So I think he did really well in uh, taking that position. And for the year, he had 228 carries, 1,050 yards. I'm sorry. Um, That was an average of 4.61 and nine total touchdowns. So I just think he did really great for his first year. And I don't know if a lot of us predicted that he would come out and like I said, take that starting position and do so well. So that's why I went with K-9. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what he can do as the seasons come
1: yeah that's a good point I mean it's really interesting to see the way his season started because I believe his breakout game was against the Saints where he busted off like a 60 yarder and it was like oh wow and again like you said I don't think he envisioned any of this taking place like no. it did considering where he sat on the depth chart uh with Rashad Penny you know and again mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe he's a free agent so it's not like a necessarily uh it's not a guarantee that we'll see like a one- two punch from those guys next season considering that maybe Rashad takes yeah. his, his takes, he goes somewhere else. Um, but it, I, I can see that, you know, and I certainly get that. And that's the thing that I wish um, like the MVP award in the NFL would go away from. is like quarterback play. Like I get it. Jalen Hurts has been great. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. We're getting to that point where uh, people I believe are having Mahomes fatigue where it's like, he's just so good all the time. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Give me someone else. Right. Um, or even like Steph Curry, like Steph is great yeah, point made. Um, But you'd like to see it because I believe, like dating back to when AP won MVP, there has been all quarterbacks, right? Which again, sure, I get it. But at some point, you'd like to see someone else in there. I always kind of cheer for that. So that makes a lot of sense. Offensive rookie of the year, again, I don't think we need to really put much discussion into that considering who it was. You know, uh, We're going to talk about offensive line later here when we go to areas of need. But again, you can disagree with me when we get down to that but your offensive tackles and Abe Lucas and Charles Cross, you know, for guys who are rookies who are starting on the tackles end of things, I thought they performed well and helped Mm -hmm. out Ken Walker, right? But just for him to be the explosive player that he is, and I say explosive, he could be a, you know, an average back, get the 100-yard games, but you see those big runs he was able to pull off, that's explosion right there. That's, you know, all of that sort Mm -hmm. of thing uh, that goes into getting a big run. So, I think You know, unless you've got anything to add to that, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to be offensive rookie of the year. And it's really exciting to just look at what he can do with this offense, you know, with a full year as the back. I know he was dealing with injuries through preseason and earlier. um, So to get him a full, healthy offseason will be a big deal um, for that. Did you have any disagreements with that or?
0: No, I think we've been spoiled with our running backs. Um, It's just, it's always nice to see the position doing so well. So just like I said, him coming in and just fitting in so well was exciting to see.
1: Um, So yeah, uh, fitting in well is a great point because obviously there are some players where it's like I have to... uh... Figure things out first. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. gel as well. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh in that regard, we go over here to uh defensive rookie of the year. And I, I don't think there was much discussion or discourse <laughs> about this one as well with the, with the year that Tariq woolen had. Um, I would, you know, go with him as the actual defensive rookie of the year in the NFL as well. But it feels like with New York media, you know, Sauce Gardner's might mm-hmm. take that over. But with with Tariq woolen being tied for the league league interceptions, and playing the year that he did, it, it, it makes the most sense to me. Um, I know we had some other, uh, Boye Mafe didn't necessarily, uh, uh, he didn't have a year like Woolen did, right? And I'm sure he'll be better as he gets more progression, you know, with this, with this organization through the offseason. Uh, Kobe Bryant had a solid year, he forced a good amount of fumbles, and he was involved. But nobody's stacked up to the season that Woolen put together, Um that nobody necessarily would have think uh he would have put together right you know oops uh this was one that he, he was viewed a lot as a pro a, a project at cornerback mm-hmm. um a guy that might need to develop a lot more and he came through and he was able to produce like he did again the seahawks sign we i think we talked about this earlier in the season um but seattle was uh putting a bunch of veteran corners as healthy inactives because of their two rookies at corner. You know, we saw guys like Artie Burns consistently as a, as a, uh, inactive Justin Coleman, these guys that didn't really play because you saw Woolen and Bryant, um, getting a start, which I think is really interesting, uh, for the secondary going forward. So, uh, what, what did you see from Woolen? just in an, an incredible rookie year? Really?
0: I mean, just right off the bat, the comparison to Richard Sherman, it's always hard to do comparisons, but they match so well. And just um, the comparison fits so well to Richard Sherman. So it was exciting to see um, that we could kind of get like, I wouldn't say a shell of what Richard Sherman was, but like a similarity to him. So yeah, it was just the way, again, the way he fit in so well so fast.
1: When you mentioned Richard, it was really interesting when we had the Thursday night game against San Francisco sort of how excited Richard was to meet him and sort of, you know, uh, speak with him about the year that he's having. Because again, yeah, it's it's hard to replicate certain players. And comparisons are always interesting because no one's going to be like exactly like a certain right. player. Because um, I'll tell you one thing, Tariq Williams faster than Richard Sherman. Richard was great as a corner, but he wasn't necessarily that fast. Um, but just to see the ball skills that they have, the height and the length and all that, it, it obviously makes a lot of sense to hear those comparisons. Uh, in the realm of all that. Um, we go to newcomer of the year, which is something that's always fun. You know, I, I, obviously we talk about MVP and offensive and defensive rookies of the year, but newcomer is always interesting just to see who was able to contribute. Um, you know, whether it's free agency or a trade or something like that. Um, I went with Ucheno Nuosu someone that I was excited for when the offseason came around um, and we needed pass rush and they signed him from San Diego guy that, well, LA. Um, a guy that went under the radar a lot of the times with the Chargers anyway. He had a decent season last year, and this year he came out and he was able to prove. Even in that wild card game against the 49ers, there are several plays where you can look back and see the havoc that Nubosu was able to, to cause, the disruptions he was able to you know, take place in um, along that line there. I like where you went here with Noah Fant. I, I liked him as part of that trade. With the Broncos, he was, uh, he's a young, uh, athletic tight end, and that was something that we talked about at the beginning of the season, right, was getting those tight ends involved, and I like to see that as the season went on. Um, so I, I, to go back to it before I let you get to Fant, Nuosu, just like what he was able to bring Not only off the edge, but also, obviously, the Seahawks defense had trouble stuffing the run. Uh, But in in recent memory, he had some good plays getting into the backfield against the 49ers in that wildcard game. So why did you go with Noah Fant?
0: I mean, it can't feel good as a player to be part of like a blockbuster trade because they think that obviously Russell Wilson is going to come out and make their team so much better. So I can only imagine the mentality that you have to go into when you switch teams like that. Um, and I just think that he was utilized very well and – as far as like where he was in the season, he had four touchdown catches, but I feel like he contributed pretty well. And um, as he like eases into the offense and becomes more comfortable, I think that there's more potential, especially with how Dino likes to spread the ball with their tight ends.
1: And that's something that I hope that we see into next year, you know, obviously, because obviously you've got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett out, out wide in terms of your weapons, but tight end, You know, outside of a a few guys, obviously you look at a guy like um, George Kittle had a solid game last night, I believe. Travis Mm -hmm. Kelsey almost tied the playoff record for receptions in a game, let alone by a tight end, right? So you look at those guys and that's sort of your upper echelon, but a lot of the time you see these tight ends maybe fall back in terms of recognitions. Like, okay, you know, he could just be another blocking tight end. That's what Seattle's been known for a lot of the times, obviously with the Mm -hmm. blocking. Uh, Jimmy Graham was here, obviously, what now is, is several years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, but I really, I'm intrigued by Noah Fant because of his, his athletic ability and his his youth. So anywhere is a cool visor. So there's that, right? <laughs> um, we went with different ends of the season here for our game of the year category. Um, and again, it makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, but. I just thought I went with the uh, season opener uh, against the Broncos. I thought this was sort of a game that it really set, like I talked about with Geno Smith's story kind of uh, replicating uh, the Seahawks season. I just thought that this was a game that sort of also uh, set the tone for what we we're able to yeah. see from the Seahawks this year. Because going into this game, I was like, okay, it was, it was Monday night, right? In Seattle, um, Russell Wilson's here. He's supposed to, you know, light us up effectively after the trade, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I remember there was a key article. There was an article that Is Seattle better than expected, and they were, they were throughout the course of the season. Uh, even yeah. with the game going down to a missed field goal in this one, your game had a missed field goal in it towards the end. Um, and Seattle kind of had to squeak in at the very last second here, just like in that game against the Broncos. So I saw some some things there. We talk about we just talked about newcomers of the year. Nuosu had a, I believe a couple hits on Russell Wilson, uh, I believe two actually. The first touchdown, uh, and it's not a, t- a dig on Tariq, but the first touchdown that the Broncos scored, Tariq Woolen got beat, uh, unfortunately. Um, Ken Walker was nowhere to be seen in this game and trying to like I'm going through our list here of uh, of superlatives I'm like, hey, all these guys were involved in this game. Um, yeah. But I felt like that really set the tone for uh, one of the more memorable Seahawks seasons in the last few years and a team that, you know, should hopefully springboard into more success as the years go on because of that young talent. Um, in the makeup of this team so far, you went with week 18 versus the Rams, a game that Seattle needed to win in the first place and then get some outside help later in the day in order to make the playoffs. Why was that your selection?
0: Well, I thought your selection was really great because like you said, it set the tone for the whole season and it was a game where you were automatically counted out. So it was great to see um, the Seahawks win that one. But I I went with uh, week 18 just because of, like you said, they needed to win to make the playoffs with some help. But it was just such an important game and to be able to control what you can in terms of your fate for the playoffs. Um, I think they executed well and did it on a defensive play, which is great. Um, and yeah, it just, for me, it was, this is win or go home and they showed up.
1: It, uh, they didn't do so without, uh, being a little frustrating throughout <laughs> the course of that game, yeah. but they were able to, you know, get it done ultimately. And and it, that's the thing too. It was a divisional game against the Rams. The Rams didn't have anything to play for, but they're always generally a pain to deal with. Yeah. So it makes, it make to me, it makes sense that that game was close, but just because of some of the execution stuff that we talked about after that week, um, You know it could have been better now we get to sort of the uh the stuff to move forward to towards the off season here um with the seahawks uh and what to address so you went here uh with the order of the offensive and defensive line um i went with the defensive line i need a backup inside linebacker for jordan brooks because cody barton i just with the the year that he had and the struggle that he's shown after being sort of in the wings for years to come doesn't excite me whatsoever to have that next year. Uh, and if, in terms of trying to bulk up your run defense, that guy missed too many tackles. So can't have that, right? Can't have a revolving door as a linebacker. Um, and that interior offensive line is what's important to me. Austin Blythe was serviceable as a center this year. Your your guard situation is very interesting because Gabe Jackson was a guy who split time with Phil Haynes. You have a guy like Gabe Jackson who you acquired from uh, Oakland, what was it, uh, last year or a, a year before that, and is expected to be a starter. And he's splitting time with a guy, which is maybe that's more indicative of the player that Phil Haynes is, but it's a very interesting. You've got uh, Damian Lewis on the other side of things. So I think your tackles are set. I think it's that interior part of it uh, is where I went here with areas to address. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Obviously, I think defensive line is just generally like That's the consensus. We need to get better there. (laughs) Um, But your thoughts on Seattle's areas that they really need to address this season?
0: Yeah. I mean, they need to, in addition to helping Gino have more time um, on offense obviously helping K-9 break loose. So that's kind of, that was my thought process for the offensive line. And then the defensive line, like we know how bad our uh, run defense is. So just like, like you said, we know that's an area that needs to be addressed. And I completely agree with you with Cody Barton. Um, So that kind of tied in with the offensive line, because yeah, we we definitely need someone that's not going to miss tackles that can be crucial to the game.
1: And you know, that's something whoopsie. That's something that, there we go. That's something that is key, right? You know, you look at this, uh, it just, Cody Barton might just be fine overall, but you know, when you look at contending teams and stuff like that, you can't just have fine. You have to be good or a lot, a lot of times better. You look at the guys that step up for these teams that are still playing football, um, and a lot of them, you know, they have guys step up because of injury. And when I've got a guy like Cody Barton, who's considered a starter and that's who I have to rely on for a lot of it. It's, it's, you know, it's a big issue. You talk about the lines, feels like the Seahawks have been dealing with line issues, whether it's offensive or defensive for ugh, the entire Pete Carroll era, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, obviously something that needs to be addressed both sides. And with the, the picks here, we're going to have mock drafts come up. We're going to have to start doing mock drafts. So that'll be f- interesting. you know. But uh, with draft season coming up, who knows? Maybe a guy like Jalen Carter falls to us at number five. Maybe Seattle trades out of the number five spot. I know that in those exit interviews, when Pete Carroll was asked about it, he said that I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to give you any hints on what we're doing at number five. So that'll be really interesting here. And then we'll wrap up with the uh, free agents. Now, free agents, this is the list of undrafted. Um, undrafted. Uh, unrestricted, unrestricted free agents here. Uh, there are a bunch of guys that, you know, a lot, a lot of depth here, but, uh, picked out some ones that made a lot of sense. We both have Geno Smith, which makes a ton of sense. Obviously Ryan Neal as well. Who's a guy again, we talked about, we sung the praises of Ryan Neal effectively the last few weeks, uh, and the often the, the contribution he's been able to make every single year, um, Whether he's a starter or not has been crucial. You got to keep him around, and it sounds like he wants to be around anyway. So both of those guys that we have unanimously both already sound like they're going to be around for Seattle. Uh, You went with Rashad Penny. Now I, you know, when healthy, obviously he's a great contributor. But I'm intrigued to see what your case is for him uh, to return as a Seahawk next season.
0: And like you said, health obviously plays a big part in it, but just uh, having a one-two punch and we've seen what Rashad Penny can contribute. So if he's able to stay healthy, I'm not going to say who I feel should take that RB1 position, but yeah, just being able to have both guys back there, I think would be um, a huge help to the offense. So was health the only reason why he wasn't included on your list?
1: Availability is a big deal, man. You know, I can't be paying a guy a certain amount of money to Like you said, I can't really put a a, a depth chart label on anybody at the moment. Um, But, you know, a guy who you'd think effectively would be a top two back, I doubt he falls lower than three. Right. And pay him. He's going to want money. You know, he might be okay. You know, I I, I got injured again. I'm not going to take up a large amount of your cap space. He's he's not going to commend like the veteran minimum. That's just not going to happen. So it's it's something to really look at. I think it's gonna be a tough decision. You know, I know that yeah. it's been great to see him uh, have struggles for years, have a breakout sort of end of the season. What not this current NFL season, but the last one. Last season. And even I think in the the first few weeks he was healthy, you know, he he didn't do horrible, right? Um, so it's it's a tough decision. But I think in my in my opinion, I don't know if he returns to Seattle, and I would I would lean on the side of no. I went with a few other guys here, but uh, you know Puna Ford. I'd like to see Puna back. It was interesting to hear in the exit interviews that uh, Pete Carroll said that they had to play him outside of his position effectively. Um, I believe it was in like a three technique outside of where he normally lines up as a nose tackle, right over the center. So they like to get back to him doing that next year. When they say we'd like to get him to do that, something like that sounds like they want him back, right? Yeah. So unless Puna decides to say i'm out of here and ship off i doubt that's much of an issue uh phil haynes is interesting because again i talked about phil haynes being a guy um, that split time with gabe jackson at the offensive guard spot um he's younger than gabe jackson and if he's splitting time with a guy like that why don't we just give him that overall cut our losses with gabe jackson take his cap off the books and you've got phil haynes there who's a younger guy a younger option is already basically a starter anyway a half starter Right. And they get him full time. Marquise Goodwin's one. I'm a little more interested to see how that goes. I know that uh, there have been some mock drafts that predict Seattle will take a wide receiver with one of their four picks in the first two rounds of this draft. Someone threw a Jordan Addison's name around out of USC. I don't know if they get him, uh, but it, it sounds like that's something that Seattle will add through the draft. So you could probably, you might take him off there, or maybe you sign him and he's a fourth wide receiver, you know? Um, but i would like to see him back you know before he really got injured he was i thought he was a guy that was able to contribute when dk metcalf went down uh against the chargers i believe Marquise had two touchdowns in that game so uh, a veteran wide receiver who's got some speed and was able to contribute you know i don't think he's gonna command too much money i don't excuse me see why you wouldn't bring him in that's what that's my where my thinking was with that um do you have any comments on guys like goodwin uh, uh puna or phil
0: No, I thought they had a good contribution. Like, I understand why you put them on the list. Um, Yeah, I just, with a a possible wide receiver coming in, I understand wanting to keep a veteran, but we also have Metcalf and Lockett who are considered veterans. So maybe they do want to try to spice things up by bringing someone new in. Uh, Yeah, that's my only comment there. So. We'll move on to some league news here. On the 19th, Aaron Donald confirmed that he is playing next season amid Mm -hmm. retirement rumors, so we still got to deal with Donald in the league. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not that he has anything to prove anymore, but he wants to stay. Um, On the 20th, uh, Purdy is likely SF's QB1 in 2023. Unless Trey Lance makes a seismic jump, Brock Purdy will be 49ers starting QB next season. That's crazy because he just beat out Trey Lance and Jimmy Grappolo, who had kind of a weird contract in the air anyway. But still, that's uh, pretty uh, commanding by Purdy.
1: Yeah, I. It's uh, it's funny to see how that'll go for San Francisco. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is probably gone. I think that's like a
0: mm-hmm.
1: given. But with Trey yeah. Lance, yeah, what a what a way for them to trade up for that pick and just. Now you got a guy like uh, Brock Purdy scoring off. So uh, we'll swap over here to the Mariners here who continue with uh, international signings um, as their offseason continues, a a critical offseason, as we talked about. Seattle signed six additional international signings after last last week's pretty important class, including infielder Gustavo Beltran, infielder Alexander Garcia, outfielder Gene Gutierrez, right-handed pitcher Jeter Martinez, right-handed pitcher Jose Romero and right-handed pitcher Dylan Wilson. So we'll go over these guys here, give you some updates on them as opposed to just telling you their names. Uh, Beltran's a 17 year old five foot eight infielder with a strong frame. He's a plus runner with a compact swing and primarily plays the second base spot. Garcia is a 17 year old. Who's a five foot 11 infielder with uh being a plus athlete, playing multiple positions around the diamond, he has raw strength and an aggressive approach at the plate with a good amount of range on defense. Uh, Gutierrez is 17, 6'1", uh, with a physical frame. He's an above-average athlete with raw power and solid speed. He does profile as a power hitter at the plate uh, with some solid arm strength. Martinez is a 16-year-old. Bill, we're talking about a 16-year-old.
0: That's crazy. Six foot
1: four. Hey, man. You know, uh, a right handed pitcher, he's got a smooth delivery with good direction and a solid repertoire across the board. He's an above average strike thrower. That's the name of the game. If you can throw strikes, you're going to get called up. Uh, Jose Romero is an 18 year old, six foot one right hander with an aggressive mentality on the mound. He has a solid breaking ball and presents velocity around the low 90s at the current point in time. Finishing up with Dylan Wilson, who you see on your screen. He's a 17-year-old, six-foot right-hander with a long and athletic build. He's got plus mechanics and utilizes his whole body well. Uh, His standout weapon is his curveball, which has a chance to be an above-average pitch that induces several swings and misses. So that's... uh, More sort of development there for the Mariners. Again, we talk, you look at the international signings and you wonder why they're important. Look at a guy like Julio. He was an international signing and now he's doing what he's doing now. I'm not saying any of these guys will live up to that, but that's why these international signings are so important. Um, There's some roster moves here. The team claimed right-handed pitcher JB. Bukowskis off of waivers from the Diamondbacks. Um, and because of adding him to the 40-man waiver uh, uh, roster, pardon me, they had to uh, designate Alberto Rodriguez uh, for assignment and effectively put him on waiver. So that's why that's that. I said waiver there, it slipped out. My mind was ahead of it there. <laughs> um, another interesting, I mean, not like Bukowskis was all that interesting. He got uh, dealt with some injuries last year. So uh, not too much there. Uh, the Mariners did make a free agent signing, but it wasn't necessarily anybody that was on the radar. Uh, on the 19th, the team assigned infielder Tommy LaStella to a one-year deal. Uh, Jerry Depoto had a quote about LaStella here uh, to give you some insight on why the Mariners decided to bring him in. Tommy's makeup, instincts, and experience in winning environments will benefit our team as we look to make the next step. We value his versatility and strike zone management skills, as well as what I believe to be a high baseball IQ. Uh, LaStella is 33 years old, has appeared in nine major league seasons with Atlanta, uh, the Cubs, and the Angels. Uh, as In addition to Oakland and San Francisco, most recently in 667 career games, the left-handed hitting infielder is batting 267 with 207 runs, 97 doubles, five triples, 40 homers, 204 RBIs, and 172 walks. Because of Stella being added to the 40-man roster, just like Bukowskis, uh, left-handed pitcher Justice Sheffield was designated for assignment. LaStella is an interesting pickup. I mean... <laughs> It's not like, again, anything that was out of the ordinary here. There wasn't much of a sample size in 2022 to go over um, on a Giants team that will look much different this year. Um, it's nice to have veterans. I mean, it's probably going to primarily be a bench bat. Might be some help for the corner infield here as you need a guy who's going to be able to back, back up Ty France in case of anything. Same with Gino. Um So again, I don't see too much happening there with, it's not like this is an impact signing, but you look at what the Poto said with him, you know, adding experience in a winning environment and versatility, the Mariners always look for versatility. Um, So when you look at these free agents, right, if someone's like strictly one part of the field, probably won't be a Mariner, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, you got, look at, look at across uh, outside of exceptions here and there. Right. I know that when Ty French was starting with the Mariners in 2021, he was playing second base. I know he plays corner, uh, corner infield. Colton Wong can play, uh, you know, around the infield there. JP's primarily a shortstop. Gino primarily third, uh, third base. Uh, Dylan Moore, look at Dylan Moore, look at guys like Sam Haggerty. It's all versatility right there. Right. So versatility is going to be something that the Mariners organization prioritizes a lot of the time you know so there is that uh just a gentle reminder to you that mariners and catchers pitchers report uh pitchers and catchers eh? report (laughs) on the 16th of february so we're getting closer there it's it's pretty wild to think about it you know it just feels like the other day or a week ago that we were the season was ending and we're doing our recap and then we're getting into the cold winter of free agency we're getting pretty close to pitchers and catchers reporting who knows? Maybe we see another move uh, from this front office to acquire another big name. So uh, speaking of big names, we go over to uh, Bell to go over for our Storm uh, past week. I know that the Brianna Stewart's been overseas, right? Mm-hmm. Been putting up some impressive performances, but Storm Overseas website does not outdate. So that's I just know that Stewie's doing well overseas. She's also uh, but,
0: been busy on Twitter.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> All sorts of emojis. You know, so, Bill, why don't we get into uh, Stewie's saga in the offseason and just a general storm? There's there's more news before we get to Stewie, but we'll get to the storm uh, offseason here.
0: Yes. So on the 18th, the team reportedly is interested again in free agent point guard Courtney Vandersloot. Seattle's expected to reach out to Sloot once free agent negotiations begin on the 21st. A couple of days ago, they began. Notes on Vandersloot here. Last season averages 11.8 points per game, 6.5 assists per game, 3.9 rebounds per game, and 1.2 steals per game. She was named the Seattle Times 2007 State Player of the Year, consensus first team All State honoree, and the state of Washington's leading scorer as a senior. She averaged 26 points, seven assists, five rebounds, and five steals per game as a senior at Kentwood High School. I mean, I think that would be a good pickup and I've heard rumors that Stewie is interested in playing with VanderSloot. I'm not sure if you've heard that. So
1: yeah, I've I've seen the reports that um, wherever VanderSloot decides to sign is where Stewie will likely go, which is very interesting. And yeah. at least obviously we're the Seattle outlet. That's what we're going to talk about how it impacts Seattle. We're not going to talk about how it impacts so, so, so um, Seattle needs to fill the hole at point guard. That's, Outside of signing Stewie, that's priority like one. this two. That's two, right? I'm not even going to say one A or one B. Stewie, flat and above. <laughs> Number one. Um, you got to fill the hole in point guard, right, Bell? I mean, uh, you know that. But with this championship window, with Stewie and Jewel, I'm not worried about it. But Jewel's still technically... Well, this is the second year of her contract. or two-year yeah. contract, right? And again, we don't know what Stewie's going to do. So you're basically... You're not you don't have time to develop certain players, right? So VanderSloot would add that immediately. You talked to, I, I wanted to add those key stats about Seattle Times because she's got history in this state mm-hmm. and she yeah. visited with the Storm last year anyway. So it would make a lot of sense for that to happen and it would open the door up to, again, if this report has merit to it, bringing Stewie back. So I mm-hmm. think it's a no-brainer. I would have liked to do it even if we already had Stewie. So to feel the hold that Sue left. Um so I, I, I would like it personally. Again, it, you look at the stats. It's not like these are necessarily the huge stats at 11 uh, points per game, six rebounds, six assists, four rebounds. Um, but it's a veteran that knows how to win and immediately fills that point guard hole. You know, and I don't you think that Vantage Flute would like to play with a Brianna Stewart, with a Jewel Lloyd, right, to get the ball to? So I, I, I think it makes sense. I don't know if you've got any disagreement with that, but I think it makes the most sense.
0: No, it makes sense. Uh, And as you said, there's a pretty big hole that we have to fill. We don't have a starting point guard right now or a bench point guard right now. Um, Brianne January, of course, retired as well. So even if they go after someone in the WNBA draft, you've got to learn from someone and who better than, like you said, a veteran who knows how to win. So. Um, We move on to uh, some good news here. The team will retire Sue Bird's number 10 jersey on June 11th when the Mystics come to town. Bird becomes the second player in franchise history to have their jersey number retired during the pregame ceremony, joining Lauren Jackson's number 15 in the Raptors at Climate Pledge Arena. Other activities to honor Bird along with giveaways and fan activities will be announced closer to the event. Bird spent her entire 21 year career with the Storm playing 19 seasons, the most of any player in WNBA history. She retired as the WNBA's all time leading assist leader, finishing her career with 3,234 assists. Bird was honored on each of the WNBA's milestone teams, including the all decade team top 15 players, top 2020, and was named to the W25 team in 2021 as one of the 25 greatest and most influential players in league history. Bird won a record five Olympic gold medals to go along with four WNBA championships, two NCAA championships, and five EuroLeague titles. She was selected to a WNBA record 13 All-Star games and was honored as an All-WNBA selection eight times. Bird is the only player in WNBA history to play in at least 500 games, starting each of her 580 career games. In addition, she ranks second in career three-pointers made with 1,001, third in steals with 725, and seventh in points with 6,803. Bird's importance to the Seattle Storm franchise cannot be overstated. Originally selected as a number one overall pick by Seattle in the 2002 WNBA draft, Bird was with the Storm for 21 of the franchise's 23 seasons of existence. She scored or assisted on 27.5% of every basket scored in Seattle Storm history, including the four seasons she didn't play in 2000, 2001, 2013, and 2019. When only including those games she played in, Bird scored or assisted on 35.4% of all Storm baskets. That was a mouthful because that's a lot of accolades to go through, but I think you feel the same way as I do when I say that I'm going to need tissues that day.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, even, uh, even the last, the last home game, the last regular season home game and the last playoff game that they played, you know, it, I, I, I didn't really want to leave the building, you know, cause it didn't feel like it was over. Um, I might age people. A lot of people won't get this reference, but there's a there's a particular song in a it's a documentary about a band called The Last Waltz. And it was it was effectively like a Suze Swan song. And I that song, this particular song just played in my head for the entirety, like the second half of the season. And even through the playoffs, I was like, each day it could be over, right? you didn't know we didn't know washington put up a good battle there um i didn't really have a doubt that they were going to make the playoffs but there were times where it was tough you know they started out the season and were like five and five um so it it, it, this is great and it made sense but now my next thing is so when's the statue because that's what should be next there shouldn't be any debate about it um I think it comes down to a climate pledge arena that depends on their land they've got plenty of opportunity for it it just comes to where they're going to put it now i'm sure but that's uh that's what should be next so yeah I, I you you read off the accolades and i'm sure there's even more you could talk about with sue which is pretty <laughs> incredible but it yeah that it's, it's hard to say much more about sue so uh, my my only thing is when are they going to put the statue up so i'd like to talk about this particular player getting a statue, but they have a say in Seattle. So we have some more stuff on Stewie here um, as we close out uh, our Storm segment.
0: On the 20th, as part of her emoji tweets, Rihanna Stewart will reportedly meet with four teams once free agency opens. Those four teams consisted of Seattle, New York, Minnesota, and Washington. So negotiations did begin on the 21st. Um, The teams were going to visit Stewie, as we've stated that she is overseas. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know what more I can say. I'm nervous. I'm excited to hear more, but um, her not using words on her tweets is definitely making me anxious.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's. it's, uh, I don't know if she put anything else out today, but it's like trying to decode these. You know, I'm, I'm hoping at the end of it, um at, at some point she's able to just kind of say okay this is what this meant this is what that meant because I have I couldn't tell you uh, I know that we the other note I don't know if you went over it. I'm sorry but the uh, Vander will meet with three teams including Seattle once free agency begins so that's already begun uh they've gotten from now until the first of the month uh, to continue to negotiate since uh, deals don't really come until the first I wouldn't doubt if Stewie pushes her decision until then honestly we might be in for a grueling week uh, in a few days to, to come to that decision. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but that's ultimately your number one goal. If you're Seattle, you know, point guard, we just talked about the importance of signing Slute to bring in Stewie. You have to make sure Stewie is on board. Uh, otherwise I really don't know where your team goes. You know, um, you look at that list of who she could play for Seattle. That's a big piece. And then, but still, even after signing Stewie, the Storm have a lot of work to do to fill out the remaining part of the roster, right? To compete. Um, I'm sure we'll see some rookies. I know they didn't have any rookies last year. I'm sure this year we, we do see some of those rookies. Uh, New York, New York becomes an instant super team at that point. I mean, they've already got John Cole Jones, Sabrina Ionescu's over there. They're going to have to cut some folks uh, in order to bring in Stewie's contract. I mean, yes, Stewie. I said Suey. I put Sue and Stewie together there. That's terrible. Um, Minnesota, I don't know about that. I know they pushed for a playoff spot last year. Sylvia Foles retired uh, this past season. They've got some talent on that team. I don't really think that's... I don't know why she put Minnesota on that list. I know they've got a winning pedigree. They're also tied for the Storm with four titles. Washington, I mean, to play for Elena Deladon, Natasha Cloud, uh, that would be... That's a solid team as well. But... I put Seattle and New York as one and two because I think they're one and two. Put Washington at three, sure. Minnesota, I, I you know. But, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, so. it's going to be a key part. We'll obviously keep you updated on that. So we're going to run the uh, social media thing at the bottom here. But uh, Bell's got to scoot it. Um, so, Bell, appreciate having you on for this. And, again, I know that we're both stressed, stressed as all-powerful as we can uh, about where Stewie will go because, again, we, we talked about it once the season ended. I think even before the season ended, you know, this is priority number one and this is the most important. So that'll be key. I did
0: see some people, sorry to cut you off there. I did see some people holding on to the fact that Sue was getting her jersey retired and people were like, well, now you have to stay in Seattle because you have to say something at Sue's uh, jersey retirement. But if you look at the list... The game that is played on uh Sue's jersey retirement is against the
1: Mississippi. No, no. And we have
0: Washington on the list. I don't so. want to deal
1: with that. No No,
0: <laughs> no added stress, but just Yeah, you know, been there's that.
1: Me. There's her most recent true release has a lot of ties to the state of Washington in the mountain range. So there's a bunch of different things that you could point out and look at. Um if you want to go towards that route but yeah it's it's sure to be really interesting um as that continues so bell i appreciate you sticking on we're going to continue here as we approach our sounders who continue through their off season here who made uh, a few big um extensions here that we'll get to but first of all danny Leva is one of those extensions and he was one um let me get that right there there we go danny Leva, so he signed an extension Uh, But he was also called into the US youth national team U20 uh, training camp in Florida. So the young midfielder appeared in 19 matches last season for Seattle, starting in 12. He tallied two assists, eight shots, and an 86.4 passing percentage, in addition to 952 minutes logged um so we'll go over immediately into the extensions here leva received a four-year deal uh he's 19 years old he was signed as a homegrown player back in 2019 and has since been a mainstay within the organization he was part of the 2019 mls cup as a rookie he's a uh, native of las vegas making 55 appearances overall for the rave green including two appearances in the ccl uh, league title run in 2022 Uh, obviously talked about his 19 game performance this past season but in addition to those 31 matches uh, to those, uh, he's got 31 matches for Tacoma Defiance in 2018, uh, including two goals. He's played for the U.S. men's youth national team since 2019, as we talked about in his call-up, uh, including making three appearances in the 2019 U-17 World Cup in Brazil. The other ones that have been rumored but haven't been official until this past week uh, are Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris. So we go over here uh, to Christian Roldan. Roldan... Um, signed a five-year deal. Uh, Roldan is 27 years old and was the 16th overall selection by Seattle in the 2015 MLS Super Draft out of the University of Washington. Since he joined the Rave Green back then, he's become one of the Sounders' most tenured players, ranking third all-time in appearances with 280 across all competitions, also becoming only the third player in club history to pass 250. Um, Roldan also ranks third all-time across all competitions with 47 assists, including 36 goals. In addition to uh, being on all four rosters that made the MLS cup final, um, winning 2016 and 19, obviously Roldan was named to the 2021 MLS all-star game alongside five other Sanders players. Uh, Roldan was named to the U S men's national team for the FIFA world cup, uh, this past year, uh, since making his debut uh, in a 2017 gold cup match against Martinique Roldan has amassed 32 caps for the U S men's national team. We're going to go quickly and talk about Roldan before we discuss um, Jordan Morris. This is a great move, I believe. I like this move the most uh, out of the three extensions that were given, considering Roldan's MVP-level sort of play that we got from him in the early part of the season. He dealt with a hernia injury as the year went on, uh, but he's just a key part of that midfield-slash-attack for the Sounders, um, and getting him locked up is a big deal. I know that I was worried about that uh, when he was in the middle of that sort of MVP-level run you know, with the underlying stats and the importance that he brings to this club. And it's crazy to think about, uh, putting his name next to most tenured, uh, or one of the most tenured, uh, players for the club, um, in his existence. So, uh, rolled on and then jordan morris here morris signs a five-year deal as well he's 28 years old joining the rave green as a homegrown player in 2016 after having a successful career with the academy and at stanford university after he won the 2016 at&t mls rookie of the year award he continued to be a transformational player for seattle scoring 52 goals across all competitions uh which ranks fifth all-time in club history uh, the island uh island The native of Mercer Island was on both the 2016 and 19 teams that won the MLS Cup, as well as the 2017 and 20 teams that made the final. Most recently, he helped Seattle become the first ever team to win the uh, champions, pardon me, part of the CCL team this last May. He was named to the MLS Best 11 team in 2020, as well as earning MLS All-Star selection in 2022. After he was recovering from an ACL tear in 18, he won the Comeback Player of the Year in 2019, scoring 13 goals across all competitions. On the international scene, Morris has 51 caps for the men's national team, most recently appearing in two matches during this year's World Cup. So Morris is one that really interests me. Um, I don't mind having him here for this time, but, you know, obviously there were the reports that he wanted to go back to Europe. Um, And just his last 12 games, he only had the one goal as the season wrapped up, so You're really looking. I know that Brian Schmetzer talked about getting this offensive attack really revitalized this season. He said that the team started to figure Seattle out. Um, That should help Morris, but you're going to need more from him. Uh, You know, you can't have it, you know, taking up space. Uh, Given this big extension as well, uh, it's really key for him to contribute and just find the best form of himself that he can. You know, you look at 2016 and 2019, obviously he had the great... um, campaign in 2016 as rookie of the year 2019 he play like an mvp um you need i'm not saying you need him to be an mvp level player but i need better contribute contribution from him uh going forward over the course of this five-year deal um some some more sounders news here as the the week goes on uh, on january 20th um The club learned of its League's Cup draw. Seattle placed in the West 2 group alongside Real Salt Lake and Liga MX's CF Monterey. Uh, The dates and times for those group stayed matches are coming at a later date. So that's something else that the Sounders will have to do in addition to the Club World Cup um, and the MLS regular season outside of everything else that's taking place. Uh, the league's cup 2023 is a complete reimagining of the tournament from the last time we saw it back in 2021 uh, with all clubs from mls and Liga mx participating in this official Concacaf sanctioned tournament from the 21st through august 19th uh 21st of july pardon me july 21st through august 19th the tournament will consist of 77 total matches in a world cup style tournament with group stage play followed by knockout rounds during the last league's cup tournament in 2021 Ah, uh, the Rave Green fell three to two in the final to Club Leon at Allegiant Stadium uh, in Las Vegas. So Seattle, hoping for a better run of things there, they had a great run um, in that League's Cup until they reached Club Leon, where they just kind of struggled there. I know that the score is three to two, but they could have played much better in that result. Um, another the Sounders had a big week here. Another big piece of their news was that they announced their newest jersey sponsor. Uh, it'll be Providence, a Renton-based healthcare provider, as the newest Jersey sponsor. The two organizations entered a multi-year relationship that sees the Rave Green partner with the most robust healthcare system in Western Washington. With both entities coming together to work to improve mental health and wellness in local schools, uh, starting with the Renton High School, uh, the Renton School District. Providence Swedish becomes the official healthcare partner of Saunders FC and the Providence brand will appear on team jerseys and official gear, as you can see here. So um, that little blurb there from the official email, the official press release about it. You know, I didn't actually I apologize that I didn't know about uh, these. uh The news relating to Providence uh, before this, I know that some some are concerned about Providence being a sponsor because of uh, the ties that Portland has to Providence. Um, But there's also some stuff that these the uh, organization of Providence has had in regards to religion, uh, reproductive rights and all sort of things like that. There's some there's some serious issues that were raised with Providence. I know that there was some information about them uh, how they treat their employees as well um the alliance council the seattle sounders alliance council um had a statement about it uh how they weren't consulted and they were going to meet with sounders leadership about it so i'm really interested to see how that sort of goes um but it's 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 interesting i would say and i don't want to just say interesting and say on that middle part of it but it's disappointing to hear about the things tying into providence and i'm hoping that there is uh, some solution to everything that took place with that so with that being said we're gonna move over here to our kraken uh who continue as they ramp up towards the all-star break uh they played four games over the past week uh january 18th uh, pardon me 16th versus the tampa bay lightning on mlk junior day uh a one o'clock start on a Monday. Uh, Seattle would lose that game four to one, two of those goals from Tampa Bay coming with the net empty. Our player of the game was Vince Dunn with one goal, one point, three shots, uh, three hits, and one takeaway. On the 17th, the very next day, the team traveled out to Edmonton excuse me, to play the Oilers, losing that game five to two. Seattle stayed in it early on, but ultimately the Oilers uh, proved to be too much. Our game uh, player of the game once again was Vince Dunn with one goal, Three shots, uh, one goal, one point, three shots, two blocks, one takeaway, uh, extending his point streak to eight games. Um, So Seattle got a day off in between those that back to back and they will they played on January 19th versus the New Jersey Devils winning four to three in overtime. So that one was uh, pretty fun to see. see Seattle should have won that before overtime but nonetheless they were able to take care of business in the overtime period our player of the game was Ford ryan donato donato two goals one assist for a three-point night uh hidden seven total shots i believe that was donato's first career three-point night as well um and then january 21st to wrap up that week of games there on saturday versus the colorado avalanche losing that one two to one in an overtime shootout unfortunately Player of the game was goaltender Philip Grubauer, 26 saves, a four for four save percentage on the power play, and a total save percentage on the game of nine six three. Um for our players of the week, I went with Vince Dunn here. Uh two goals, one assist, three points, eleven shots, ten hits, and nine uh wait a minute, ten hits. I apologize. I don't know what that's about. Um <clears throat> excuse me. I went with Dunn, all things considered, uh, you know, he had a solid performance. Three points overall isn't exactly the greatest, um, but he had his point streak, which uh, nine games, which was really great to see. Uh, he had a point in overtime against the devils there to extend the nine games. So an all time high streak for done and the highest, point streak by a defenseman in Kraken history, which was great to see. Um, and it's just his, his play overall has been really great for the Kraken uh, who you know have been looking for that defensive consistency. You look at the games against Colorado, only allowing two goals, one of those coming in the shootout. You look at the game against Tampa Bay before they added those two empty net goals. His Dunn's play has been great and he's in line for a pretty sizable extension, hopefully from Seattle. Some have said that he might price himself out of playing for Seattle. Um, but I certainly would like to keep him locked up uh, for years to come. Bell went with Andre Burakovsky here. We'll go over to that selection here with this great photo by Matthew Bermudez. Uh, Burakovsky, one goal, one assist, six shots, and three blocks over the past week. Uh, his OT winner to send the uh, his OT winner against the Devils here, as you can see him celebrating in the photo, uh, sent the Kraken into first place in the Pacific Division uh, after that win against New Jersey. I can get why Bell went with that. Just the magnitude of that goal and that win for seattle obviously you know to put them at first place in the division for the first time in their existence was big um it was really interesting the story about burkowski uh, that day because in the morning skate for the kraken he was hunched over he just generally looked upset he didn't seem like himself um and he had the he had to miss the next few games here, unfortunately. Uh, but that goal was really big for them to obviously go into the first place in the Pacific Division. Um, win that game, his offensive play for Seattle continues to be big. Um, and I'm hoping that he's back from injury sooner rather than later. So that's where we went with players of the week. Unfortunately, we do have injury news the last few weeks. Unfortunate to not deal with any injuries. Uh, Justin Schultz and James Schwartz have both missed time this past week. Uh, Schultz missed the past two games for the Kraken, a veteran defenseman, someone that's very key for them on specialty teams. He's been out with an undisclosed injury, so we haven't been able to get any updates on that. We should hear tomorrow uh, after the Kraken practice. So again, I implore you to follow us on social media so we can get you those updates in real time. Schwartz has missed the past four games after reportedly slashing his hand in a game, and we haven't gotten an official update. It's Still considered an undisclosed injury, unfortunately. Um, But a lot of speculation has been around that hand being slashed um, and hoping that's, again, we we need both of those guys for the push. Schwartz's impact has been huge. His offensive production has been massive for the Kraken this season, even last season before he got injured towards the end of the year. So hoping that we get some good news on that front. But generally, we haven't gotten any official word from the Kraken in those games since Andre Burakovsky missed the game on Saturday versus Colorado. He was president at uh, president, pardon me, uh, yesterday's skill showcase. Uh, but his injury is undisclosed as well. So we're hoping to get more news, um, on that front. Um, but we had a recent piece of team news that might play into that yesterday, uh, for John Hayden, who was actually called up, Uh, As an injury replacement player, I called up from the Coachella Valley, but Firebirds was sent down to Coachella Valley. So there might be some positive news on that front that we might get one of our forwards back um, before Wednesday's game against Vancouver. Uh, Some other team news. The team is reportedly interested um, and has been persistent in their pursuit of Canucks forward Bo Horvat. Horvat's current stats are 46 games played, 30 goals, 19 assists, 49 total points, 5.7 5.7 point shares, and four game-winning goals for the Canucks. There's been a lot of controversy around Vancouver uh, that we'll get to in league news, actually. Um, but Horvat's a veteran center, made the All-Star Game in 2013-2017 and is going to make this year's All-Star Game as a player, a fan vote in, pardon me. Um, it's very interesting to look at that, though, that the only reason I really mentioned this is because Horvat and the Kraken have been linked for the past few weeks was a report that Seattle's been persistent. I, uh, I got a report today that Seattle's reportedly uh, drawn their name out of consideration for Horvat, considering what they're asking. Um, so I, I don't know if we'll, we'll see that trade come to fruition. Uh, Seattle's been interested also in Panthers forward, Sam Reinhart. So that's something to keep in, in touch as well. Um, but it's very notable that Seattle and general manager Ron Francis have been active in adding a veteran impact player prior to this year's deadline, uh, especially with all their success. So that's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, again, follow us on social media below to get that news in real time. Um, but still, so I'm going to keep an eye on maybe we're talking about that sooner rather than later uh, with the tread deadline rapidly approaching to finish up our cracking segment here. We do have some league news, some very Uh, one, one story, a little bit odd and the other pretty sad on the 16th, Robin Leonard filed for bankruptcy. The injured golden Knights goaltender and his wife have reportedly racked up millions of dollars in debt including missed payments for a snake collection, an exotic snake collection. Prior to filing for bankruptcy, the Knights goalie faced a $4 million lawsuit. So Leonard, uh, who's still injured for Las Vegas, is dealing with some issues there. On the 22nd, Bruce Boudreau was fired uh, by the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver finally made a coaching change after months of general speculation that Boudreau would be fired, outsting Bruce Boudreau in favor of Rick Tochette. Um This drew a lot of criticism. Uh, Boudreaux is pretty generally uh, well-respected around the NHL and was a very big fan favorite, and Vancouver finally let him loose. There's a lot of distrust by the fans and the players with the Vancouver ownership, so things are not too well in Vancouver, but the Kraken still have yet to beat Vancouver. Is this week the, the time it finally happens? We might not know. We'll look ahead here to our uh, upcoming week for our Kraken games. Uh, they start Wednesday, um, January twenty fifth, versus the Canucks at seven p.m. As Seattle sits with a twenty seven win, fourteen loss, five overtime loss record, for good good for second in the Pacific Division. But things are heating up at the top of the division. Um, their next game. remains in the division, January 27th versus the Flames at 7 p.m. These are all home games uh, to finish out the year and finish out uh, before the All-Star break. January 28th, so a doubleheader for the Kraken there. Uh, January 28th versus the Columbus Blue Jackets is also a 7 o'clock game. Uh, Very important that Seattle gets points against these divisional teams, and especially a team like Columbus coming to town. Columbus is actually uh, winning the Bedard race. You don't know what that means. Connor Bedard is... Uh, a player that teams are tanking for so it's in that thing when there was uh, the Colts suck for luck for Andrew Luck all that sort of stuff so very key that Seattle picks up some more points uh, especially with how tight the top of the division has been getting Seattle sitting at 59 points Las Vegas has 60 the Kings have 58 and Edmonton is fast on everyone else's tail as well I believe they're at 57 so you can see how important getting those points going forward is uh, for our Kraken so Moving over here to our O.L. Reign news, uh, not anything necessarily too too weighted, like last week when there was the news about the draft and these trades and these re-signings. Not necessarily. Uh, we do have some news here about some Reign players uh, playing for the U.S. Women's National Team on friendlies down in uh, against New Zealand. Uh, so Rose Lavelle uh, started both of the two matches over the past week for the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, she had an assist in 61 minutes in the match on the 17th. Uh, both Alana Cook and Sophia Huerta were substitutions to begin the second half, but didn't record any points uh, in that match on the 17th. And then on the 20th, uh, in a friend another friendly against New Zealand, Rose Lavelle had two goals and wore the captain's R-band uh, for the US Women's National Team. So that was pretty um, uh, important to see Rose not only have those two goals, but do so wearing the captain's R-band uh, for the US team. So. That, as well as the club inviting former U.S. uh, UW Husky Mackenzie Weinert to their preseason camp. Uh, It was announced that on the 19th that Weinert would join the preseason camp. Uh, Some stats for Weinert last season. She appeared in all 19 matches for the Huskies starting the final 11. She ranked second on the team with five goals and 15 points. She also ranked third on the team with five assists, Uh, notably back in 2019 as a redshirt sophomore at oregon state before transferring over to washington she was an all Pac-12 12 13 nomination um it's really cool to see more huskies get involved with the rain here obviously uh through the draft um with shea holmes last year with olivia vander so very, very cool to see that take place uh, with preseason coming up for the rain. I know a lot of players are returning back to Seattle uh, for things to take place when they start training at Starfire, uh, Starfire Sports Complex, and it'll be really great to get back to rain soccer. But first of all, we need the NWSL schedule. We need to see the schedule first. I don't know why uh, we're still waiting for it, which is unfortunate, but um, it should be another great year for the rain. But what's critical is to see whether they make another move ultimately. Um, before season's end, uh, or it's internally finding a way to get over the semifinals hump, uh, to make it past the semifinal round and to finally win an end abyssal title. So we don't have anything, uh, for our sea wolves currently their preseason is rapidly, rapidly approaching on February 5th. The sea dragons are still having their training camp down in Texas. Um, and that continues to be exciting to see uh, the clips from that, but we don't have any actual necessarily news outside of the fact that they're still in training camp. Uh, Our Supersonics still don't exist. We don't have any uh, front on that as well. Uh, We go to Player of the Week. Now, I went uh, with Philip Grubauer partially to showcase this great photo by Live Lions captured at yesterday's Skill Showcase, Um, but I mean, we look back at our Kraken games here. We'll go back to the games that they played, primarily uh, looking at The two starts that he had, obviously, against the Lightning and then against the Avalanche. So against the Lightning, Grubauer absolutely kept the Kraken in that game. Um, You know, again, I mentioned those two goals aren't on him at the end there. Uh, even we could go back to those other goals but just uh, incredible performances against tampa bay and colorado and this unfortunately his team wasn't able to help get him the victory um you look in that colorado game the goal that was given up uh he made a great save before actually and the rebound came out to a waiting colorado's uh colorado forward alex Newhook, was just able to basically hit it lightly over grubauer who had been sprawled out There was a bunch of chaos in front of net can't put that on in front of him uh the 963 save percentage in that game is excellent on its own um, as well as you look at the Tampa Bay game, Tampa Bay is still one of the top teams in the league, uh, having gone to the Stanley Cup three years in a row, winning two of them. You know there are some things that are different about that San, uh, that Tampa Bay team, but it's still one of the best teams in the league. And for him to have the performance that he did, Curbelo is playing great. I don't care what anybody says, what any casual fan says, what scoreboard watchers say, you know, media that doesn't watch the game say. Grubauer has been playing excellent and it's just unfortunate that he hasn't been able to get that support from his team, whether that's his defenseman or how his team offensively tends to be quieter when he plays. So um, that's it for the. Last week, uh, no, no, we get one more week uh, in January. Yes, I apologize. Next week is the 30th, the second to last week of January for Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Uh, Our Seahawks season review. um, Our Mariners continue to stay busy with international signings. Our Storm are hoping, really, really hoping, that they're able to convince Brianna Stewart to stay home. the Seattle Sounders add extensions for three key players as their preseason ramps up. They stay busy in the news here with a kid sponsor um, and a yeah, kid sponsor and Leagues Cup draw. The Kraken stay busy throughout the end of the first half of the season here. And so much more is taking place. So until we see you next week, uh, take care of yourself. Be well. And I hope that you're able to make each day a great day.